the U.S. government during the Civil War, our nation was in very troubled times. Four months after the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863, after three days of battle, 51,000 soldiers lost their lives. President Abraham Lincoln, he spoke 273 of the finest words in American history. The Gettysburg Address, you remember it, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we're engaged in a great civil war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's 150 years old, the Gettysburg Address is. 150 years old this year, it was written and delivered in a time of great sorrow and distress for our country. It was written to edify, to build the country up. And the speech, it it changed lives. It motivated the country to victory. I have plagiarized Lincoln's words this morning and formed my own address, the Fountainhead Address. That's what I've entitled it. And it too, it's written to edify. It's written to build us up. It's written to change you, I hope. It's written to motivate you, certainly, to victory. Almost 2,000 years ago, our church fathers, through the Holy Spirit, brought forth upon this world a new way. Conceived in love and dedicated to the proposition that God wants all to be saved. Now we live in troubled times. We are being tested and fired in the crucibles of worldliness, apathy, and persecution from which we must endure. We are all on a great spiritual battlefield. And though the world may forget who we are or what we say, they will never forget what we do in the name of Christ. We, the living here today, must be dedicated to the great task before us and so honor the author and finisher of our faith and the faith of those who have gone before us so they will not have worked or died in vain on our account that this congregation under God shall have a new birth of purposeful hope that this church whose head is Christ and whose government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're not speaking of the U.S. government this morning. We're speaking of the government of the church this morning. For us all to understand the church, we must use our Bibles. So I hope you have your Bibles this morning. A lot of the scriptures will be on the screens. The government of the church... The kingdom is very simple, but very effective. It is of the people, by the people, and for the people. The word church means a group of people. The word church is used in two senses, as you see on the screen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord said that He would build His church, not churches. His church, but church singular. There was but one church in this passage... And the church used here is universal in scope. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, 
to the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We see the local use of the word church used to describe the church at Corinth that met particularly there. I am part of the church universal, a church all over the world. And I'm a part of the church that meets here at Fountainhead. Whether we mean universal or local, Christ is the head of the church. Notice how Paul explains this in in two passages. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. We can see here that Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body. The body is made up of Christian people with Christ as the head. The church is truly of the people. The church is of the people and the church is by the people. Jesus told the apostles in John chapter 14 verse 26 that the Holy Spirit would teach them all three things and bring to their remembrance all things. The apostles were told, Matthew 28 verse 20, that after they had baptized that they should teach those to observe all things. We continue to teach in settings like this, like this service here today, to inform, to remind, to convince, to rebuke, to exhort with patience what God wants us to know and how God wants us to live. The Lord does not do His work in person now. He has us to do His work for Him. We learn from John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and from number 206 in your psalm book, that Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Bear precious fruit for Jesus today. Branches in Him no fruit ever bearing. Jesus hath said, He taketh away. Not used to the thuses and thuths. Branches in Him no fruit ever bearing. Jesus will take away those branches who aren't bearing fruit. The Lord's work is done in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. The work of the Lord is done by disciples. John chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Notice verse 2. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Notice the the disciples did the work even when Jesus was on the earth. God's will is done by men. The work of the church is done by people. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. We work. God is in us. It's not our work so that we can boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Notice... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we notice we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's God's work. When we function in God's ways, 
God's work is done by the church. The church is the saved. Those who have had faith enough to obey. Those who have had faith enough to repent and be baptized are added to the church. Acts chapter 2 verse 47. As I've said, the government of the church is very simple. It's too easy to miss really without help. As we've said and read, Christ is the head. The headquarters of the church is not on earth, but in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus has already gone into the heavens, it says, and sits at the right hand of God. The head is in the headquarters. Jesus is the head of the church universal, and because of this, He is over each and every congregation. There is no governing body higher than than the local congregation. This is foreign to many because for so long man has interfered and many man-made denominations with headquarters not in heaven but on earth have shamefully blighted the religious landscape. We learn from the Bible that the spiritual oversight of each congregation in the Lord's church is given to elders. Titus was not told by Paul to set up one elder for each city in Crete, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, but a plurality of elders is to be in each congregation. That's what Paul told Titus to do. There is never to be just one pastor, one elder, one overseer, one bishop, one shepherd, one steward in a congregation. All of these names mean the same thing, but it's kind of confusing to have so many names for the same person. Think of it this way. Each name is a description of the duties of an elder. An elder is defined by the names that we learn from the descriptions that we learn from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. That is, an elder is a man. Elders are married men with children. The word elder emphasizes experience. Not a new convert or a boy with no experience at all. Overseer. The emphasis is oversight. An overseer takes care of things. A shepherd protects. A steward is trustworthy with our lives, with our souls, with the finances of the church. In Acts chapter 14... Verse 23, they appointed elders in every church. In Acts chapter 15, verse 6, the church in Jerusalem had elders. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and notice something. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Notice the Holy Spirit made the Ephesian elders overseers. Now, who makes elders today? Well, when you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, you see the qualifications of the elders. The qualifications, these qualifications were given by Paul. They were written to Timothy and Titus by the inspiration of, that's right, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still gives the qualifications of an elder, and it hasn't changed. The church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, had those who, it says, labored among them and were over them in the Lord and admonished the Christians there. The Thessalonians were to esteem them highly. The church at Philippi had elders. Each church had elders, plural. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, who were to oversee the Christian saints in their own congregation. Do we find any higher offices in the church of the Lord? No. Well, search the Bible over and you will see that only Jesus is higher than the elders. It saddens me. saddens me to see how man has perverted God's plans to govern the church. One pastor systems, elders who aren't qualified, bishops who aren't married, boards of directors, man-made hierarchies not found in the New Testament or the Old Testament, for that matter. Paul Sain wrote, The term pastor is commonly used incorrect in the religious world today. The word pastor is used in reference to an elder, overseer, bishop, etc. These terms are used interchangeably. Now, I am not a pastor. I'm not the pastor of Fountainhead. No matter how many times the phone rings and I get called pastor, I'm still not the pastor. You could call me a duck too. It doesn't make it so, right? Man's insistence to rearrange God's ways reminds us of the dangerous spiritual times that we live in. Man has always tried to take control of God's way. Back in the old Bible, in 1 Samuel 8, the children of Israel, they wanted a king. And Samuel, the prophet, he was saddened. He thought that they were rejecting him. The children of Israel wanted to be like everyone that was around them. They wanted a king just like everybody else had. Now, should I become your pastor so that, so that we can be like everybody else, else out in the denominational world? Should I become your pastor so that we can be like the world? When many question and change biblical commands, whose wisdom do they run over? God told Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, they haven't rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the elders that even from themselves, savage wolves would come. But from the first century to the 21st century, the world has tried to tear down the true church and has not succeeded. Our government still stands. The world has tried, but together with Christ as our leader, we are strong. We are united under the banner of love that Jesus Christ holds. United of the people, by the people, for the people. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died 
for all people. And whoever believes in Him will live. Really quickly, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, when Lydia became a Christian, when did she consider herself to be a believer? Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. When did Lydia consider herself a believer? Flip over a page to Acts chapter 16, verses 31 through 34. When was the jailer, the Philippian jailer, called a believer? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into the house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, notice, having believed in God with all his household. When was the jailer called a believer? I agree with the words of Abraham Lincoln. And I use them as my own. What he said in 1860, I say in 2013, I know there is a God and that He hates injustice and slavery. I see the storm coming. I know His hand is in it. If He has a place and work for me and I think He has, I believe I am ready. I am nothing, but truth is everything. I know I am right. For Christ teaches it, and Christ is God. Of whom is Jesus the Savior? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. My last question today is, will you obey today and be added to the church of God? There's a spiritual battle going on. And I don't want you to be a casualty. God set the church up as a place to be saved. Almost 2,000 years ago, our church fathers through the Holy Spirit brought forth on this world a new way conceived in love dedicated to the proposition that God wants all to be saved now we live in troubled times we are being tested and fired in the crucibles of worldliness apathy and persecution from which we must endure we are all on a great spiritual battlefield and though the world may forget who we are and what we say they will never forget what we do in the name of Christ we the living here today, 
must be dedicated to the great task before us and so honor the author and finisher of our faith and the faith of those who have gone before us so they will not have worked and died in vain on our account. This congregation under God shall have a new birth of purposeful hope and that this church whose head is Christ and whose government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish but have everlasting life. Obey Jesus. Here's what he asks. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. As together we stand in sin.